From Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3, and as always, as we do every Sunday, we want to remember that this is God's Word, and this is God's Word about God the Son. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Lord, please bless the preaching of your word. I'd like to give you a title for this message before I preach it, which is unusual in my case. I'd like to title this message, The Priceless Comfort of the Sorrows of Christ. The Priceless Comfort of the Sorrows of Christ, named after those two references to that word sorrow that takes place in verse 3 and 4, The Sorrows of Christ. Now, that title much like the title of this day, Good Friday, is, comes across a bit ironic. How can his sorrows be to us? Now, if we've been a Christian any length of time, we know, and we can guess, I imagine, <laughs> why that sorrow is comforting to us. But I, I think it's helpful sometimes when we've been a Christian any length of time to zero in on just one aspect of the worthiness of Christ, and sometimes the depth of that one aspect can be lost as we survey the whole thing. So I want to zero in on just that word, sorrow, the sorrows of Christ, and why considering them, meditating on them, actually brings endless and personal comfort to our souls. Uh, This study on the sorrows of Christ, it comforts us in our commonplace sorrows, remembering that He would have faced none of these except for his love for us. So our many ordinary sorrows that we face, I think, are comforted knowing that we have a Savior who comes alongside us in them, having faced many of our ordinary sorrows, and he then comes with grace and mercy to help us in our moments of need. But even more than that, the final sorrow is the most important sorrow. We are comforted because his greatest sorrow was bearing our guilt so that we could be comforted by the gift of forgiveness and life. And so when you put all that together, I would urge upon us this truth. Be comforted by the sorrows of Christ. Be comforted. Be comforted by the sorrows of Christ. If you are a Christian, if you find yourself tonight in Christ, be comforted by his sorrows. I want to list four of his sorrows. The last will be the most important one, but I think the first three are comforting to us as well. Four sorrows that I think should comfort us, that are priceless to us. The first is this, his sorrow of rejection and betrayal. Jesus, God the Son, who had lived eternally in the favor and affection of the Father, in unity with the Holy Spirit, in perfect Trinitarian love and affection, took on for our salvation the sorrow of rejection and betrayal. The Gospel of John chapter 1 describes him this way. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Now, throughout his ministry, throughout his life, Jesus experienced rejection after rejection, and then eventually not just rejection, but betrayal. Even those who did receive him, at least temporarily, betrayed and turned away from him. We can just list these things out. His own brothers during his ministry thought he was insane. Judas, who had walked with him during his ministry for three years, had eaten with him that very night, marked him for arrest with a hypocritical kiss of friendship. Even the rest of his disciples, the men he had loved and walked with and taught, left him and fled. The people who had rejoiced at his miracles either abandoned him or, worse, turned against him and cried out for his execution. Our Savior willingly endured the sorrow of rejection as he walked on the road to save us. So, Jesus comes to every Christian who is facing rejection and betrayal with personal knowledge of the pain that that is. Personal knowledge. And he did this not because he had to, Not because he needed to for his own sake. Not because it was outside of his control. He personally and willingly faced this particular sorrow. When the passage says he was a man of sorrows, one of those sorrows was the acute pain of rejection and the greater pain of betrayal. And so for people here who have experienced rejection or the worst pain of betrayal, someone who should love you, who should have been loyal to you, who instead turned away from you or perhaps even sought to inflict pain on you. There is one who knows that sorrow. And that one happens to be the Lord who offers himself to you in comfort and compassion. So if you know that sorrow, and all of us know it at some level, some of us know it acutely and painfully and horrifically, there is one who knows that sorrow. He was a man of the sorrow of betrayal and rejection. Christ comes in mercy to the rejected and betrayed, having walked that road to the fullest. And there has never been a person who experienced betrayal and rejection like this person. So the the deepest betrayal, the deepest rejection can be brought to this Savior. And He comes to you with mercy and compassion. From little moments of rejection you may face this week to the highest moments of rejection you may experience in your family relationships, in your friends, towards your parents, with children, with co-workers, employers, distant relatives, that moment of sting and pain and shock and surprise, there is a Christ who comes to you knowing that sorrow and who only bore that sorrow because he had chosen this path to save us. He knows the sorrow of rejection and betrayal, and he brings grace and comfort to those who face it as well. Secondly, he knows the sorrow of false accusation and mockery. A man of sorrows. What a name, the hymn says. What a precious name. And let's just focus on just that one name and just now this one aspect of sorrow. He faced the sorrow of false accusation and mockery. That's part of the sorrow of the man of sorrows. Christ was called a blasphemer for telling the truth. He was executed as a criminal, though he was innocent. 
He was mocked as powerless when he actually had all power. He was viewed as being under God's curse for his own sin when he was, in fact, the sinless Son of God. There has never been a person who suffered more unjust accusation than the Son of God. So when you face unjust accusation, and that is possible, not that we don't deserve ultimately the wrath wrath of God, but it is possible for people to receive accusations against them that are not true of them, to be called something that is not in keeping with their motive in a moment, for something to be assumed about you that is not true, to be told you are one thing when in fact you were not that thing. And sometimes the most painful of all, the very thing you were seeking to do to serve someone is called instead the opposite. Many Christians experience that sorrow. Well, here is one who experienced that sorrow and experienced in heightened form by public mockery. He experienced false accusation, not just in a private interaction or even an email exchange or even in a a workplace event. He experienced the mockery of false accusation. Matthew uh, records, as the other gospel writers do, that they, they wagged their heads at him. A kind of taunting took place even when he was on the cross. During his trial, they would strike him blindfolded and then dare him to prophesy that he could say who had done it. He he wasn't just falsely accused as if he was not the great king that he claimed to be. No, no, he was mocked with it. He was belittled. Even the thief on the cross sharing the same punishment mocked the claim that he was the Messiah. So mockery sometimes comes from those in temporary power, and sometimes mockery even comes from hypocrites facing the same vulnerabilities. Have you ever experienced that particular pain? Mockery from someone who is facing or doing the exact same thing they're mocking you about? No one experienced that like Christ. Public shame, humiliation, mockery, and All of it undeserved. Not just like in our case, some of it undeserved, or perhaps undeserved a bit. No, all of it undeserved. Completely undeserved, permanently undeserved. It's not like they just caught him in the one moment he was innocent and thought he was guilty, like sometimes happens with us. Well, that moment I actually happened to be innocent. Another moment I would have been guilty. But this is the man who was never guilty and yet mocked as if he was guilty. So he comes to you and me. In that moment, which is a real experience, it's a sorrow in this world to be falsely accused, to be mocked, he comes knowing perfectly that pain, being misunderstood, being maligned unjustly, he comes knowing perfectly that pain with comfort and mercy and grace and sympathy and compassion and remembering he did not have to face that at all except he was on this road to save us. There is a a mercy in knowing, a comfort in knowing that Christ bore what you face to the ultimate degree. There there is a comfort in the sorrow of false accusation and mockery. So when you face that this week or in your life or you remember it historically, when you face that mockery, false accusation, remember you are not alone. You have a Savior. If you are a Christian, you have a Savior who has fellowship with you when you are falsely accused. 
When you are maligned, now our roads do not compare to his, but he walks beside us and can say, I know well what you are facing. He faced the sorrow of false accusation and mockery. Third, he faced the sorrow of physical pain. He faced the sorrow of physical pain. Now, the physical pain of Christ, like these other two, that was not the ultimate sorrow that he faced. That'll be fourth. But it was a real pain. It was a real pain that, again, he had no need eternally to ever feel. God eternal has no body and cannot feel pain. Cannot feel physical pain. He is completely invulnerable to any physical pain or weakness. But then he became incarnate, and he felt physical pain. Beyond the normal pains of the human life, his final 24 hours included so many expressions of physical pain that are worth contemplating because Christ bore them in our place. He bore our sorrows walked in the pain of broken human experience, which includes physical pain. Think about just his 24 hours and think about the the connection that you can make with Jesus Christ in these elements of your pain. Christ experienced sleeplessness, the pain of physical abuse, being struck again and again, the pain of a cruel flogging, likely leaving deep, bleeding lacerations on his back, the pain of a crown of thorns, the pain of being gouged with spikes in his wrists and feet, the pain of a slow death by suffocation. The challenge of breathing while hung on a cross is hard to describe, but Jesus experienced it. He felt the physical pain of being exposed to the elements without any shelter or protection while he hung from the cross. Now, it was not his greatest pain, but this was a sorrow that was real and tangible for him. The man of sorrows felt bodily pain and weakness on his way to saving us. And and that is a comfort because though we would never want to compare ourselves to him, we feel bodily pain and weakness too. There are many of you, all of you at some point, and some of you excruciatingly so, experience bodily pain and weakness. It is part of living in a fallen world. Christ entered the fallen world and felt in concentrated form the bodily pain that is part of the curse because of sin. So that when you are awake late at night, when you have joint pain, When you bleed, when you suffer and struggle to breathe, when you face these things, there is a Savior who felt that pain. It's not his greatest pain. It's not his greatest sorrow, but it is a precious comforting to have a God who felt pain, to have a God who bled It's speculated, we don't know for sure if this is what happened, but it's speculated that each of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross took place as he sought to lift himself up to breathe. Because of the nature of crucifixion, with the nails in your feet hung, you couldn't breathe hanging down because of the weight of the fluid and so forth inside the body. And so what a crucified man would have to do is press himself up 
on the lacerated feet, on the nail, just to get finally a breath. And it's speculated that each of the times Jesus spoke, he pressed himself up and he used that moment of being able to breathe an excruciating pain in his feet to say what he said on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Today you will be with me in paradise. I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Each saying, he experienced agony and he used his breath to speak. Listen, Christ knows physical pain. He knows serving even in the midst of physical pain. So when you experience physical pain, there is a God that knows how you feel. And the only reason he knows how you feel is because he endured that to save us. It wasn't incidental. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't out of his control. It was chosen. And part of the reason it was chosen is so he could come to you at your bedside or your hospital bed or there on the side of the road and say, I know what you feel. There is precious comfort in knowing that the God of mercy and grace knows physically how you feel. But the most important sorrow was the sorrow of God's punishment. The sorrow of God's punishment, and it's greater and unlike any of the other sorrows, because instead of just bearing it in solidarity with us, he took it as a substitute for us. Instead of just bearing it in solidarity, which is precious to have a God that bears those pains, he took it so that we would never face that sorrow. Will you experience rejection in this life? Yes, you will. Will you experience false accusation? Yes, you will. Will you experience physical pain, even perhaps the pain of death? Yes, you will. But you will not, if you are a Christian, experience this sorrow of the punishment of God. Because that was the one he said, of all of them, that is the worst, and that is the one I will take completely. Not just in solidarity with them, but in substitution for them, they will never feel that sorrow. So that when Isaiah 53 says, he bore our sorrows, that sorrow above all was removed from us completely. Because you have never tasted, if you are a Christian, the punishment of God, and you never will. No Christian ultimately can understand the punishment of God. And that's why we tend to minimize the holiness of God. Because none of us have ever tasted the punishment of God. There has been only one human who has felt it on earth completely, and that is Christ Jesus. And only he will experience for his people. And that's why this is Good Friday. And that's the greatest priceless comfort of sorrow of all. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is the language throughout Scripture of substitution. That Christ was not just going to the cross as an example for us or to make us right temporarily with God, but to bear the fullness of the sorrow of God's punishment on sinners fully and completely and unmitigated upon him so that we had none to bear. That's why Spurgeon says it this way, he suffered all the horror of hell. In one pelting shower of iron wrath it fell upon him with hailstones bigger than a talent and he stood until the black cloud had emptied itself completely. There was our debt huge and immense, and he paid the utmost farthing of whatever his people owed. And though we owe God gratitude, though we owe much to his love, we owe nothing to his justice. For Christ in that hour took all our sins, past, present, and to come, and was punished for them all there and then, that we might never be punished because he suffered in our stead. Now this is a sorrow that many have that they don't yet know that they have. That is true of every person who has not yet come to Jesus Christ by faith. And there may be some here that you don't know that there is this sorrow hanging over your head. Hanging over your head if you are not a Christian is the sorrow of the punishment of God for sins. And if you think little of it, that's because you haven't felt it yet. But he has. And he offers to trade, to trade so that he can experience that suffering in your place on the cross. And you can count his suffering for you so that you never have to feel it in the future. Now, if you would wish to dare God and dare him about the agony of that sorrow, you can go to your death without trusting in Jesus. But then you will drink of whatever horrors are in that cup of suffering forever and ever because of his infinite holiness. But if instead you come to Christ and you believe in Jesus, he, he will declare that his suffering counts for you and you will never experience it forever. And if you are a Christian, this is the greatest comfort and really the only ultimate comfort that you need. Christ bore your punishment and mine. He bore it all. He bore it completely. This is the sorrow. He doesn't just bear in sympathy with us. He doesn't just come alongside us as he does in the other sorrows and say, yes, I felt God's punishment too, and it is hard, isn't it? No. He says, no, you don't have to bear that at all. There is no sorrow of God's judgment left for you. I drank it all. I drank it all. I took it all. I took it all because I didn't want you to feel any of it. He doesn't leave a drop so that we can appreciate him more. He doesn't leave a bit so that we can understand something of what he did in the fullness. No, he takes it all. He says, none for them and all for me. This is the sorrow above all sorrows on this earth. 
to be estranged from God, to experience the full infinite power of his anger against rebellion, to feel God's own infinite anger directed personally at you for your countless sins. And that was the feeling that Christ experienced on the cross. That's why that other phrase on the cross was pressed up likely on those nails and gasping with the little breath he had, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Knowing the answer was because of the sins of the people I am dying for. The sorrow of God's punishment he takes completely on himself and grants instead of wrath, Instead of separation, reconciliation. Instead of anger, adoption. Now, meditation on this sorrow, it should cause some grief because that is the true measure of our sin. If you want to know the true measure of sin, undiluted by self-flattery and subjectivism and our personal pride, go to the sufferings of Christ. That is the real measure of your heart on your own before God. It should cause some grief. Slight thoughts of sin must be changed as we study the sorrow of what Christ bore in our place. But our grief has to give way. It has to give way. And if in your soul and Christian experience it never gives way, do not trade your grief about Jesus in for the sufficiency of Jesus. Your grief is not your Savior. Jesus is. You cannot feel bad enough about your sin to save you. However bad you feel, it doesn't come close to the badness of God's wrath. (laughs) Give up. You can't feel bad enough for your sin to atone for your sin. Christ alone bears that sorrow. So it has to give way to trust. Where we say to Jesus, you bore that sorrow completely and sufficiently. He took the sorrow of our punishment out of our account. As Isaiah makes explicit, surely he has borne our griefs and carried Our sorrows, and none more than this one, we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God. It was evident that God himself was against this man. But, Isaiah reveals, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. So he bears the sorrow most of all of God's punishment. So, Christian sinner, Christ suffered in your place sufficiently. All there is left is peace. I wrote a verse a number of number of years ago that tries to describe this when we are walking through challenging seasons in life. No need No want, no trial, no pain can compare to this. The wrath of God, once meant for me, was all spent 
on him. He bore the wrath. I know the grace. Let's pray. I'll invite the band to come join me again. Lord, I pray that meditating on the sorrow of your death would give us grief and then great joy. Great joy. I pray we would reject any shadow of sorrow creeping into that joy because the comfort of your sorrow bearing our punishment should <laughs> remove any shadow of grief. Give us great joy in the sufficiency of your death. Thank you for being the Lamb of God who bore our blame. Thank you for your sorrows. Receive our joy as part of your reward for the sufficiency of your sorrows. In Jesus' name, we pray.